0: Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Tim Griffin. Um, It's an honor to have Tim here sharing the Word of God with us this morning. Um, Tim and and his wife Liz have three children, and they've been serving here at Mercy Hill since since the beginning. And they've been... uh, LifeShare leaders, and, and next in next month, we are installing Tim and Brian Hogewarf as elders in the church here at Mercy Hill. And so Tim will be is is now he is he's working and serving and to make decisions for the church and praying together. And I can just say as we meet together, um, Tim and, and Brian, myself, and my dad, we meet together, and as we pray and call out to God for for your lives and for this church. It is just a a phenomenal time together, and just to see Tim's heart for the people in this church and the marriages in this church and the children in this church, it is just really a a work of the Lord um, in Tim and Liz's Liz's, um, life. So we are honored to have Tim share the Word of God with us today, and we are are expecting that God would continue to speak to us, not just through Tim's lips, but through His Word, that His Holy Spirit would breathe life into us. So we can receive from God. So Tim. All right. all right, thanks,
1: John. Okay. How did I do? Am I good, Brett? <laughs> okay. There's like a wire down my back and there's this thing on here and I don't know how it all works, but somehow it does. Okay. Um okay, so Sarah, let's go ahead and get that first slide up there. Um you know, I was listening to the prayer, and I was listening to the prayer for Austria today. I was listening to some things Larry was saying, and in a nutshell, um, that's the message that I feel like God's laid in my heart as He was as He was helping me just pull things together in a relatively short amount of time. Pull things together. So my prayer is that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will decipher all of the the things that maybe are not so organized and bring them to your ears and to your heart. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna go through some things. But as I was listening to those prayers and those. Those words today, I kept hearing the word formalism, and uh, and there is a there's a bondage in formalism. There's a bondage in legalism. There's a bondage in our lives prior to knowing the Lord Jesus, and sometimes even after we come to know the Lord Jesus, there's a danger in a false gospel of living out our lives under the bondage of formalism, and there is freedom in Christ. So today, as you're here. We're here to be freed by Christ, to proclaim that we are freed by Christ, and then to continue on being freed by Christ. We need to live that way. Um, so the message basically is that. You can leave now if you'd like to, but, um, but I'd like to unpack a few things. One of those would be that we want to go the extra mile. You know, this, I, I just kind of tell this going the, Elam extra, or going the Mercy Hill extra mile. I work at Elam, so... So uh, it's a great thought, isn't it? I, I mean, I like this thought. It's a it's a great motto for life. Um, lots of businesses use it. We can hit that next slide, Sarah. Um, you know, a lot of businesses use pictures like this to go the extra mile. Next slide is another business that's used the extra mile kind of idea. You know, going the extra mile, it's not just braving the current. This is inspirational stuff. We could even have a new motto for Mercy Hill, maybe, Johnny. Instead of, you know, down to earth, maybe Mercy Hill. It's the church that goes the extra mile. Maybe that's where we should go with this. I mean, who can argue with that? But right now, as inspirational as it is, um, you may be feeling differently. Um, You may be feeling like I feel a lot of times, which is like, hey, look, I'm not even in the race. Or, okay, I'm in the race, but um, all I can see are the backsides of everyone that's running in front of me. Um, how can I go the extra mile when I keep getting stopped along the way or I can't keep my shoes on or my shoes keep falling off or, you know, the road's flooded. How can I go the extra mile? Uh, that's a little bit more about how I feel about the race at many times in my life. It's like there's all this gunk on my shoes weighing me down. And then also people kind of laugh at the way I run too, which doesn't help. And, um, and I'm carrying a bunch of baggage along the way. So... Um, So, Brett, let me know if I'm doing something wrong, okay? Okay. Um, So, it's a nice thought. It's a nice saying. But it's just a little bit out of touch with reality for me sometimes, at least for my world. Lord, what does all this have to do with the life of a believer? To me, sometimes it just sounds like a Christian version of trying harder and working harder, doing better, and being better. When is it that I'm going to be good enough? Is it ever good enough for anybody, for God? I'm just going to drop out of this race right now. Forget it. I can't go on. And not only am I not sure I can do this, but why should I? I mean, I put my time in. In fact, I put more than my time in. You've got to be kidding. You know what? God the Father, he knows us so well. We have such an incredibly large capacity as human beings to pervert all of his goodness in our lives. And it's so subtle. And even at, the t- at times, it seems so right to us. This is why we need to continually come to him. He needs to be the gauge and the plumb line in our lives, his word. Um, The the verse in the Bible about going the extra mile, it isn't about trying harder, doing better, that you're not doing enough. It's about the gospel. We're going to take a look at that, but it's all about the good news, the gospel. Let's go back to the Old Testament for a second. I just want to visit this. I got excited as I was going through this, and the Lord was saying, Tim, let's go back and visit the gospel again. And as I thought, used to think as a kid about the gospel, I was like, well, in the Old Testament, they used to keep all these laws and these rules and these regulations. And uh, so when you know, Jesus came, that's all. You know, it was all by faith, by God's grace. But when the law was given to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, it was given as God's law. It was a direct reflection of himself. His holiness, His expectations. But very important is this, that the Ten Commandments and the laws of God were never meant to save people. The law was never meant to bring salvation. In fact, the law that reflects the perfection and holiness of God condemns us. It brings to light our very need for a Savior. In Galatians 2, there's a couple verses. One says, If justification were through the law, Christ died for nothing. And by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So we cannot claim our righteousness by any sort of law-keeping. It doesn't work. It's not, how it was, it's not how God designed it. If the law was God's guideline for us, and there's no way to keep it, then guess what? We are desperate people. We will never be able to keep all of the law all of the time. So what do we do? Where's the good news in that? For Old Testament believers who did not have Christ, their faith was acted out in their obedience in their sacrifices. They had faith, even though they knew that the blood of goats and sheep couldn't take away sins, they had faith in their obedient sacrifices that somehow, somehow in their obedience to God in this, that their, their sins were going to be covered. Their present and their future sins were going to be covered. But it was still their faith in God. It had nothing to do with them keeping rules and regulations. They believed God, and as Scripture says about Abraham, God counted it to them as righteousness. There was only one person who did live up to and fulfill the law totally and perfectly, and that was Jesus. So let's jump into the New Testament now. Jesus is here. God steps into history himself in flesh through Jesus Christ. And in the world, he lives his sinless, perfect life life that nobody can claim to have lived. None of us sitting here the purest, most innocent of all humans ever, and then he does something remarkable. He obeys his Father to the point of death, giving his very life, body, and blood to be poured out as an offering for the sins of the world, the perfect for the imperfect, the just person for the unjust, the clean for the unclean, to pay the price once and for all for any that believe and put their faith in him. All of this is by his grace, Nothing about this gift is according to what we've done or what we can do or what we can achieve. What kind of love is this? The ultimate power of this gift comes not just in that He gives Himself as the payment for sin, but then He seals it with this victory over death. When He rises three days later from the grave, He rises from the dead. And now we live under a scripture that says this O death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? This thing of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he does all of this, not just for his chosen people, not just for the Jewish people, he did it for the world. He opened up the doors to the Gentiles. Now that's you and I, and he offers this free gift, not according to anything that you and I have done or not done or not enough, But because he loves us, he says, it's a a gift. It's my grace. Put your faith in my son. So there's no more sacrifices of animals because the ultimate sacrifice has been offered once for all. There's no more need to live under the burden and the prison of the law. There's the curtain of the temple. When Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, granting access to all of us into this fellowship with the Lord Jesus and with the Father. And all of the requirements, all of them, had been poured, all of, the, all of the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ so that all the requirements of the law were met in him. Now, I know this is maybe a review, and you're going, I, I kind of know this, but I got excited about it. I got really excited because I was going, man, I was, I was revisiting the gospel. And I was going, this is really exciting to me. I know this. I've known it in my head and in my heart for a long time, but I got really worked up about it. But in my life, and maybe in your life too, time goes on, In Bible times it went on, and our thinking and our culture, even some of what we call Christian thinking, begins to flirt with some faults in different Gospels. We wander a bit in our faith and we see less need to be in God's Word and to spend time with Him, in His presence, getting to know Him and, and for Him to know us. And then we start to believe a lie. We start to look back and we start to embrace a lie. I don't know about you, but I hate lies. I hate to be lied to. And I've lied my life, so that makes me a liar, I guess. But I still hate it. But lies are the enemy's food and pleasure. Lies are the enemy's food and pleasure. When I woke up this morning, um, actually I met with Carrie a little bit yesterday. We were talking about the enemy being the accuser of the brethren. Our enemy, Satan, is the accuser of the brethren. And he loves lies, and he will try to convince us of our place before the Lord that it is not real, and it's not enough, and that what you're doing is not enough. And that's a prison, and it's a lie, and it's not a true gospel. When I woke up this morning, he was knocking at my door, and he was like, what are you doing? What what are you you doing at Mercy Hill this morning? Just going to Preach. And he laughs at me. And peace that I'd had all week about what's going to happen this morning was gone all of a sudden. Because he's whispering in my ear, you're not good enough. You haven't done enough. Remember all the stuff that you have done? What are you doing up there? You can't share this message. I threw it right back in his face. You see, the enemy takes the good news of the grace and mercy of Jesus and he perverts it. He wants us to add to it. And he throws our past sins in our face and he accuses us. He's really good at this. And now the church in the New Testament is faced with a lie that's so powerful and it threatens the very foundation of the church. So just like a pig that goes back to the mud after he's been cleaned up, the people of God who accepted the grace of God by faith They started to embrace this this great gospel of Christ and the freedom from the condemnation of sin under the law. They now start to believe that though they began the journey by faith, they now need to do something to continue their life with God. It's almost like saying to God, who is the very author of our salvation, hey, thanks God for getting me started. Uh, The gift of Christ, that's great and all, but uh, I'll take it from here. Um, now, I'll take it from here. I'll, I'll get back to the laws and the religious regulations of the Jewish people that help me kind of measure and account for my righteousness, my goodness. I'm going to go back there because that's comfortable. I can see that. I can measure it. I want to be able to measure my goodness and my righteousness. I, I'm not comfortable being totally in your hands, oh God. I'll, I will now live life by my own efforts, good works, and my own strength. You got me started, God, but I'll take it from this point on. Paul, when he wrote Galatians, he was in anguish over this church. He felt as though he had helped to birth them into spiritual life through the good news of Jesus and his sacrifice for sins and the perfect fulfillment of the law. But somehow, there were some in that church that wanted to go back or who perhaps believed in others that were stirring up the idea that Christ was all good and well, but they needed to continue in their observations of religious rituals and feasts and days and months and celebrations. That they needed to do something for their salvation and they needed to do something from the, the maturing and the sanctification as well before they could measure up somehow before God. And Paul vehemently opposes this idea coming into the church. If there's any inkling of this in your own life, perhaps you were raised in a legalistic background or a family where, where things were measured so much your spiritual life was measured so much by what you did, right and wrong, that you have a hard time seeing your standing before the Lord as, as free and righteous through Christ. You have a hard time seeing yourself as righteous. But but God doesn't look at us without looking at us through his son, Jesus Christ. And when he looks at us through Jesus Christ, he looks through the blood of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection. And he sees righteousness. You are, you are not just pretending to be righteous. You are declared righteous. And it is a reality that frees us. I just want to pray for a second. Lord Jesus, as we read these scriptures in Galatians, Father, I ask that you would take away any formalism, take away and free us from our own minds of, okay, we're going to read God's word now. Let's get through this because time is ticking away. But Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would help us see the freedom that you deeply desire for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. In Galatians chapter 3, it says this. And and I'm going to throw a bunch of verses at you, so listen good and listen quickly with your hearts as well as your ears, because this is important stuff. Your freedom, your very freedom is at stake here. Not just your beginning with Christ, but your continuing with Christ. He says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, and works miracles among you, do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Moving on, he says in verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. If we rely on the works of the law, we are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live and has to live by them. Verse 23. Oops, sorry. Verse 13, let me go on. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse himself for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Awesome came to us so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now we'll go to verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive, prisoners under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Jesus Christ, You are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. And that makes us jump down to verse 6. And he says, because you are heirs or because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, is an interpretation for Abba is, is Daddy. Abba, Father, the God of all creation, that we have this privilege of saying to God, our Father, the author of salvation, Abba. We are granted that privilege not because we've kept rules and regulations and laws, but every single day from the moment we have we have. Jumped across that line of faith and and put our faith in Lord Jesus every single day. We live this out, Abba, Father, and He doesn't look at us and go, "Law, are we a law keeper today? Did you keep all the laws? Messed up here? Okay, I can't look at you again." No, we are covered. Under the blood of Jesus Christ. We are his sons. We are adopted into his family. It's exciting stuff. So if you are no longer a slave, but if you're a son, and if a son, then you're an heir of God. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, For freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And over to verses 13 and 14, finally, you were called to the law. You were called to slavery under these rules and regulations. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom for an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mercy Hill, there's no other gospel preached and no other gospel lived among us other than this, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. None. We don't just start it. And then we do our own thing and have to live up to some rules and regulations. We start it and we continue it by faith. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I really, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's one of my life verses. It's beautiful. I don't, live, I don't live under the law anymore. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me every day. Not just one time back when I've accepted the Lord Jesus as, as Savior, but every day we live this out by faith. It is God's work in our lives to draw us to himself in the beginning, and it's his work that keeps us, grows us, changes us, sanctifies us, perfects us, making us these lumps of clay into something that somehow, brings him honor and glory, but it's his work. We add nothing to our salvation with our good works. Nothing. Certainly, as evidence of our faith, we'll demonstrate good works out of love. There will be fruit of the Spirit that must shine through as a believer. But to go back and to live a burdened life of legalism, trying to meet up to God's expectations, to re-enter that prison... Christ died in vain, the word of God says. Somehow hoping that God will, will be more accepting of me if I keep those laws or those religious traditions or those rituals, then I'm essentially saying that Christ died for nothing and I need to do something to not only save myself, but also it's up to me to live that life out. But, but we can't. We can't. It's a life that's lived by the spirit and total dependence on the Lord Jesus from start to finish. So what's all this got to do with going the extra mile in some of those pictures? Um, what's it got to do with the gospel? Everything. It's got everything to do with it. Remember what I said at the beginning, that we have a way of kind of subtly perverting the goodness of God in our lives? We get very good at this. Jesus, when he was here, he made it very clear to the religious leaders of the day that although they were following the religious laws and the rules of the time. They still didn't get it. They still didn't accept him. And he even used scripture and their own laws that are in scripture to expose and reveal their hearts. You see, God, he's always interested in the hearts of people. He wants to get to and expose our hearts. He doesn't. He doesn't look at the deceptive outward good deeds that we put out there and say, "Hey, you know what, Mercy Hills, they're pretty good people." I'm okay with that. I'm so glad that he doesn't settle for that because he goes deep into our hearts. And he says, I, I want to get to the core because freedom isn't about this outward appearance. Freedom is your heart, your very soul. And that's where I'm going. I'm going to your heart. So he goes to our hearts and thank goodness he does. True salvation comes to us only when God shines his light. I don't, I don't like it when he shines his light, but he shines his light on the ugliness of sin in our life. And we agree with God about it, and we put our faith in the covering of Christ, nothing else. That's freeing, people. It's freeing to let go and to say, Jesus, you're right. It is all about you and your sacrifice. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to add. In Matthew 5, this is what Jesus does. The religious leaders and a bunch of people are listening to him on the Sermon of the Mount. They're doing, And they all think they're doing pretty well, because they're keeping all these religious laws. And they are doing enough to get by. But Jesus does this great job of hitting them with a barrage of statements and artillery that they don't contradict the law. Jesus didn't come to contradict the law, he came to fulfill the law. But he takes it to another level, to a heart level in each one of them as they're listening to their motives. And here's what happens. When he does that, it goes beyond their own fleshly ability to keep the law again. I mean, nobody can keep the law in the beginning, but then in, in the New Testament, we have some people feeling like they're doing pretty good. But he says, well, you think you're doing pretty good, but, but here, I just want to go to your heart here because here's the spirit behind the law. There's a purity that comes only from the power of the Holy Spirit when we become a, a new creation. So he starts, Jesus starts off in chapter five, and he starts off with a whole bunch of statements, and so they go like this. He says, um, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and he has a whole bunch of them. So in chapter in verse 21, he says, You've heard it said, You shall not commit murder, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. I'm sure they were going, if they had pens and papers or whatever they had, it's like, um, you shall not commit murder. I got it. I'm good. And then Jesus says, But, but if you're angry with your brother, then you're under judgment for that. I'm have to erase that checkmark. You've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in her heart. Well, they had a check there until he said, Wait a minute, you're going to my heart now? I mean, I haven't committed adultery, but you're talking about my heart. This is too much. I can't keep these laws. Verse, Verse 43 says, You've heard it said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus, come on, this is too much. Can you see what they were doing? If they could just keep a list that they could certainly attain, they were certainly worthy to be considered holy men, respected by people and accepted by God. But Jesus cuts to the heart and shows them, and he shows us too, that even even if they can keep the technical part of the law, the first part, they still fail in the need for a Savior in regards to the second part, and living it out. We still need the Lord Jesus. The Spirit of the law, we can't even live that out. This is so clearly seen in the passage that says in verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, I want you to go with him two miles. You know what? Jesus said this to his own people. He said this to the Jewish people. And th- here's why it's so radical. So remember... I want to share with you a law in Roman time. Remember, they're into keeping the law and doing what they're supposed to do. Jesus says, don't just go one mile with them. I want you to go two. And they're throwing up their hands at Jesus. During this time, I'm going to read a little section for you, but I've got it pretty well memorized. Um, There was a Roman law during this time that was particularly despised by the Jewish people. A Roman soldier could compel a citizen to carry his gear for one mile It didn't matter who you were, how old you were, or what you were doing. If forced to carry the gear, you carry the gear. But only for one mile, never for two. 1,000 paces was considered to be a mile at that time. This meant that a Roman soldier who was traveling could compel any Jew he wanted to pick up his baggage, carry it for him for one mile or 1,000 paces. And the Jews were resentful of this. They didn't like Roman rule in their country. So they would count to 1,000 And they would never carry it one pace beyond a thousand paces. That's it. They would never go one step beyond what they were forced to. And very grudgingly, after carrying this burden one mile, one thousand paces, they set it down. The Jews hated the presence of the Romans in their country. It was especially humiliating to them to be compelled as a servant to carry a Roman's baggage in their own land. The Jews had a desire to rule over the Romans, but the Lord had different ideas. So these Jews would do absolutely the minimum required. There was not one Jew who would carry that baggage one pace further than he was forced to. He had a frustrated, resentful spirit against the Romans. And he would only go as far as he was compelled. But they kept the law, didn't they? But to go the extra mile cheerfully reveals a brokenness. It demonstrates a spirit of submission, not to the Romans, but to the Lord. This is something that we can't produce in our own flesh. We could not only keep the Ten Commandments and all those things, but in the New Testament we see Jesus saying, not only can you not do that, but for your daily life, you can't do that either without me. Your freedom is in me from start to finish. No wonder the Jews started to hate Jesus. He was born in a manger, not a palace. He was not a king in their view. He claimed to be the son of God, but did nothing to free them from the rule of the Romans. And instead, now he suggests that they not only submit to the one-mile law, <clears throat> which they hate, but, they actually, but that they actually offer voluntarily, freely, and with a good attitude, a submissive spirit to go an extra mile. He shook their world up. So Jesus calls us to go that extra mile, not grudgingly, but freely, <clears throat> even looking for that opportunity. It was an issue of our heart before the Lord. It wasn't another rule to follow. It would have been easy, wouldn't it, if they'd just gone, Hey, um, <clears throat> thank you, my wife. <laughs> um, it, it would have been easy. It wasn't like this was righteousness 101 was the law, and now it's like, here's righteousness 201. The next step is, you've got to go two miles now. Because I can see some of the Pharisees already going, hey, um, I'm going one mile, we do that. Okay, we've done our thing. All right, Jesus, you're talking about two miles. I'll do two miles. Okay, I'll do it. I'm not happy about it, but I'll do it. No, the point isn't, isn't that Jesus wants us to go two miles. The point is, is he's looking for a change of heart. And guess what? That change of heart doesn't come without the Lord Jesus working in our lives. So, you may have come to a place in faith in your life at some point where you were freed from sin. You were freed and you became a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ. And then somewhere along the line, you decided that now I have to do all the work. I've got to do all the effort. I've got to work harder. I've got to be better, do better, and be more for people, for God. That's a false gospel, and it's a burden we were never meant to bear. From beginning to end, it's by faith in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, m- many years ago, uh, our whole family was, you know, uh, much younger. <laughs> okay, many years ago, Isaac and Josiah and I, uh, Sarah, we can go ahead with that first slide. We uh, we all went into a race. Okay, yeah, nice shorts, and uh, and uh, so Isaac had wanted to do this uh, this five k, and. Uh, And I wanted to do it with him. And um, go ahead to the next slide. And you can see him there in the mix with everybody. You can see his size waving at us there. Go on to the next one, Sarah. There we all are. Actually, Josiah ran this year. Next slide. There we are coming across the bridge at the finish line. I'm kind of hanging back a little bit. You know, I'd I'd like to say that's because I'm trying to make him look good. But next slide. There's the finish line. Next slide. This is me making sure my pulse is still working. And that's Liz. This was actually out of the newspaper. Somebody had caught this picture. That's Isaac making it across the finish line. And then his last picture there of a of a medal. Is Isaac here? Good, he's downstairs. We just kind of got an extra medal and gave him one off to the side. So he never knew about that. Um, he didn't actually win one. So it was a participation mo- medal. You know what? Isaac just needed me to to go alongside of him. Um, I could have run on ahead. Uh, I could have lost patience with his pace. I could have walked, making him look bad, because he's given everything he's got, and I'm just walking along. But a mile is five thousand two hundred eighty five feet. For me, that's that's two thousand paces. You know, that's about two thousand paces for Isaac. It's four thousand paces. So it's basically double. His mile doesn't look the same as everyone else's your mile might not look the same. So if, if Jesus is saying, you know, you got to walk two miles, what if your mile happens to be the uphill section? It's like, man, that, that guy had flat land. God, how can you ask me to go an extra mile when my mile is like the uphill portion? That's just so so unfair. How? That's the question. How? How do we do this? It's at this point. It's at this point where we're in danger again. Some of our thinking might be, you know, forget it, you know. I'm sticking with the mile. It's a minimum. Keep me out of trouble. I'm doing the mile. Or you know what? Fine, Jesus. I'll do two miles, but that's it. Or worse, this is, this is where it gets tricky. Okay, I'll do it. You know what? I'll do it because guess what? Here's a new rule to keep, and I'll just add it to my righteousness notch, and uh, I can increase my goodness and my holiness before Lord, the Lord and before man. So, yeah, bring, bring it on. In fact, maybe I'll go another one but I'll do it for a motive of trying to please people and to try and increase my own righteousness. What a burden. Jesus didn't say these things about going extra mile to add a yoke of burden to people, but it was really to free them from the yoke of trying hard to keep the law. There is freedom. There is freedom. He didn't just make this up. Jesus needed to humble their hearts so they could see they were still sinners at heart, and in need of a savior, not just for their salvation, but all through their life. Are you tired? <laughs> Do you get tired of trying hard? Are you get tired tired of trying to live up to expectations? Are you get tired of feeling like, oh God, I gotta give more and more and more. He knows that. He wants you to release that burden. He said, You are, I find you in Christ and in Christ alone. You're freed. You're freed. There's nothing else. Mercy Hill, we can't can't just rest with the status quo. We don't have a status quo God. The extra miles in our lives are only accomplished. And his purposes are only accomplished this way. And that's not by just us trying harder. It's it's by us stepping out in faith, even in the hard times, and believing that by faith we stand in Christ. We are empowered through his Holy Spirit. I'm going to choose even the hard stuff. I'm going to do it in faith. I'm not going to do it because I because I've got to. I'm not going to do the minimum because because I'm trying to check a list of, off of things. I'm not going to see, see myself as a little bit better than that person on that side of the church than over here, because I know there's some messed up stuff going over there, and, you know, it's not like this. It's not like this at all. We are all covered under Christ. We are free. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that we are free to serve. We are free to love God and to serve. Wouldn't it be awesome to be free not to... You know, um hopefully there's no murder going on, but, but not just not not to just not murder, but to actually love our enemy. Jesus frees us to do that. Wouldn't it be great to not just like not not commit adultery, but, but actually to have proper thoughts and attitudes toward women, as sisters in Christ? That doesn't come from our flesh. that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. Going the extra mile, faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't expect more from us, but he just says walk in faith and obedience and then expect everything, everything from him, his help, his power, his presence. We can go nowhere in our own strength. So the key is this. not How, how, how can I do less so I can survive and get by, but rather, Oh God, let me die to myself every day that you might live in me and through you more can happen than I could ever ask or imagine and I'll still have something left over. This is the life of Christ in us. So in closing, um, I don't, we need not worry about trying to be something great for God in our own eyes. The worst thing we can do is sit and wait to be something greater or bigger before we offer him our littleness. Take the smallest steps of faith each day. Offer God the little things in his name, and in faith he will accomplish eternal things. Mercy Hill, Munster, the world, this community here is waiting for all of us, freed in Christ, to come before him and be released into his service. Not in big things. You don't have to get up here and preach. You don't you don't you don't have to do this. The little things. The cups of water, off to the side, done in faith. Going the extra mile, done in faith. Not not out of duty. You're freed in Christ. Um, As we take communion today, we have an opportunity to embrace this freedom and this gift of Christ in a new way. Matt's going to come up in just a minute and get us started. But let's remember, it's about what Christ did It's not just in the past. It's also about what he's doing. It is his work in us, not our own effort. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ isn't a one-time experience for back here, and then we're on our own. It's all the time. All the time. This truck up here um, is, uh, it it was just a symbol to me of, of something that I saw on, this, on the road one time. Maybe you've seen it sometimes when you've been on the road, but I remember I was coming back from a conference once and, and there was this big, huge truck that had the, the kind that carries bulldozers and stuff, those big ones. And, and the, the bed in the back was, it was a semi, and the bed in the back was totally empty. And as I started to come up around the corner and get next to the truck, I saw that on his bed, he had this. So on the bed of the truck, this big, huge, massive truck was this. And on top of this were um, chains around it, you know, chain links this big that were wrapped around it and wrapped around the bottom of the truck. And, and I was like, I saw that and I just started laughing. And then I started, I started to see that that is so me. I, I think that I'm pretty cool. Um, I, I think there's, well, maybe, maybe I'm old and rusty like this, but I think I'm pretty cool. I think I'm doing pretty well. In fact, I think I'm a Tonka truck. I think I, I got this. I got this, God. I got it covered. And when I saw that, I said, that's that's so me and that's so God. He says, you may think whatever you want. Reality is, this is me and this is you. Rest in that. Rest in it. Lord, we thank you. We praise your name. You're holy. You're good. You're all of what we are not. And because of your love, your perfect love for us, You gave your son for freedom. Oh God, there's freedom that needs to take place in our lives. In each one of us, Lord, I pray that if there are people here today in prison, that you would stir their hearts to say yes to Jesus and this great gift of salvation today. And if there are people here today who are in the prison of legalism and trying to measure up and do more and try harder, God, that you would free them as well that they respond in faith and say, nothing, nothing but Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. He is our sanctification. It is all by faith. There is no other good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.